abgenommen bedauert. Listen now to The Adventures of Sam Spade, starring Howard Duff in The Convertible Caper. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Sam, I knew you'd have the courage to come back and face it. Well, I'm back, Effie. What shall I face first? You didn't do something else, did you, Sam? Besides what? Besides running away with that woman in a stolen car. You're a little mixed up, Evie. The car was stolen from her. You mean it was her own car? Well, not exactly, Evie. You see, she stole it from somebody else, and then somebody stole it from her, and then I got it back for it. Well, it must have been quite a car to be worth all that trouble. Uh, it wasn't so much the car, Evie. Party? Sam, I don't understand. Think it over, sweetheart. I'll be right down to dictate my report. <laughs> Take no for an answer. And just what do you mean by that, Miss Perrine? Claw marks on your face. Wrong again, sweetheart. She said yes, I said no. Hence the scratches. I knew she was that type the minute she walked into this office. That ankle bracelet and green nail polish. Green nail polish. Well, cute colors. This one goes to homicide, Effie. Oh, not another murder, thing. What else? <sighs> Two, Detective Lieutenant Sandy from Samuel Spade with uh, license number 127596. Subject? The convertible caper. Dear Dundee, it had been a dull morning, but just before lunchtime, things began to brighten up. Her clothes looked like money, unless they were wrapped around, looked even better. She eased herself into the chair I pushed up for her, rattled about a thousand bucks worth of charm bracelet at me, and after she'd arranged her legs, mouth, and eyes to our mutual satisfaction, she allowed me to hear the sound of her beautiful voice. I do not know whether you will be interested in my case or not, Mr. Spade. Put your mind at rest, Mr. Estrada. Who knows? Perhaps I am merely a waste of time. My time is your time as you stay in the States, Mr. Spade. Oh, you are very sympathetic, very kind. Entonces, my automobile has been stolen. When and from where? Last night, after midnight, while I was checking in at the Hotel San Rafael, where I am staying... I foolishly left it parked outside with the keys in it. Have you reported this to the police? No. I suggest you do. No. No? No. Well, why not? Because I stole it from another. I see. No, but you do not yet know all. If the police find the card and notify the one from whom I stole it, then that one will know that I am a sacrificer. And that's bad. Ah, it must be bad. If he finds out I'm in San Francisco, then he will come here and kill me. That is why I must recover the car rapidly and without the police. You will be glad to help me. Be very pleasant, Mrs. Strata, but our cars are not exactly in my line. You wish that I... I don't think anybody would murder you just for stealing his car. Oh, not for the car, no. Already he tried to kill me once, twice, three times. So I take the car and drive away rapidly. Away from where? Mexico State of Chihuahua, where this pig resides who wishes to murder me. Why? Oh, he drinks. He becomes a beast. He accuses me of... Look. Look here on my shoulder, this car. Well, already he cuts me with a knife. Uh-huh. Now you have seen something that changes your mind about me, huh? You see that I am sincere. Why, Mrs. Strada, I never had any doubts. Oh, please. I am without friends. You will call me Michelle, Yes, indeed. Bueno, now we are friends. In the car is sitting the pig. Hmm. Uh, what's this uh, pig's name? Pig is the only name I will honor him with. Pig. Pig. Mm-hmm. Now, what makes a car is this? Leonza. You know this kind of car? Yeah, it's a foreign car. I've seen a few around. This must have set the pig back several thousand bucks. Huh. He steals everything. Listen, my darling, please notice. Around here, is pink. With blue fenders. Uh-uh, not anymore. That's the first thing a car thief changes, the paint job. Any other uh, distinguishing marks? Yes. Yeah. I think. Uh, it has a radio. You don't say. Uh-huh. And it has 
two windshield wipers. Uh-huh. Well, uh, I'll buzz around, Major. If I find anything, I'll let you know. Uh, my fee is... Yes. Uh... Yes. Uh, that, that is something else. I have no money. Oh, that's great. That's just great. But I am sincere. You said so. Look, my darling. Take this. It is worth very much. See? This little charm alone. Platinum set with diamonds. Worth very much. You will keep it until I pay you, eh? Adios, father. After this She thrust the charm bracelet into my hand, bit me on the ear, and departed. I put a Band-Aid on it, ran some cold water over my head, poured myself a stiff slug of bourbon, and examined the bracelet. The dangle, she pointed out, was a white metal disc with a monogram in diamonds. Two uh, vertical bars with a horizontal one on top. It was the Greek letter Pi or the initials TT, depending on who had stolen it from whom. I knew it was at least worth my fee. I dropped it into my pocket and went out. My first stop was over on Mission. The sign on the building says, uh, Masterpiece Auto Painting, Joe Rembrandt, Proprietor. Damn, long time no see. Hello, Joe. Uh, got something you want painted? No, but I think you may have painted something I want. Damn, you know me. They drive them in the front. We spray the paint on them and push them out the back. No questions asked. That's quite a turnover, Joe. Yeah, we're going big time. Got the exclusive now for the syndicate work in the hill. Is that right? Yeah. What are you looking for, Sam? A murder car? Could be. It's a custom job. Foreign car. Uh, the answer? Hey, here's what it looks like. Yeah. Convertible. Sure, come in this morning. Two colors, job. Which two colors? Canary yellow body, baby blue fenders. Yeah, quite a car, Sam. Quite a snazzy heap. Heap, huh? Yeah. Is that what you want to know? It was. Happy Herman Heap was one of the biggest used car thieves in the city. As I got off the streetcar in front of Happy Herman's lot, a flash of canary yellow paint caught my eye. I strolled down between the rows of cars and farmers. Yes, sir, Heat's the name. Happy Herman Heat. Every car on this lot is in perfect mechanical condition. Take your choice. Kind of hard to choose, Herman. There's so many here. Yes, yes sir. It takes a heap of heaps to make a heap of heaps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that yellow job uh, with the blue fenders there? Uh, oh, yes, sir, but the, uh, the, the motor in that car, it does need some work. Now, over here... Does it run? Uh, Oh, yes, it'll run. But over well, here... this is more I... what I want. Let me try it. Yeah. Sounds all right to me. Oh, idling, yes. But needs to work in the transmission of the differential. Mind if I drive it around the block? Well, the mechanics were just about to work on it. Besides, uh, I'm afraid this car is more than you care to invest. Well, let me try it out anyway. Here, I'll uh, leave it apart. I reached in my pocket for Meech's charm bracelet. He took one look at it, and his expression changed. Well, uh, why didn't you say so? No deposit is necessary. The car's yours. Drive it as far as you like. Thank you, Herman Heath. I took him at his word. I put the magic bracelet in my pocket, drove back to O'Farrell Street, parked in front of the San Rafael Hotel, slipped the doorman a buck to wash it for me, and went on into the lobby. Desk clerk said that Senorita Estrada had checked out 30 minutes before, leaving no address. I found the house stick in the bar and asked him for a rundown. Yeah, I remember her, Sam. Very nice dish. Any callers signing? Yeah, two guys. Uh-huh. Went out when they came, they've been back since. Who were they? You won't believe it, Sam. One of them was Tom Tom Carey. What's he doing in San Francisco? He's wanted for murder. Yeah, I don't know, but there must be plenty in it if he's brought him back across the border. He's staying here? Yeah. Room 613. Uh-huh. Do me a favor, will you, Tommy? Anything at all, Sam. There's a car parked outside in the loading zone here. Store it in the hotel garage for me, will you? Upstairs, as far out of sight as you can get it. I went upstairs and rang the buzzer at room 613. The door was opened by a little dark-complected man with hard eyes and Indian features. There was a mean-looking knife in his hand, but he put it away at a nod from Tom Tom Carey. How'd you find out I was in town? Not from me, I don't know how much she told you, Sam, but if she told you this much, she was 11. It's a million-dollar caper. And you know some of the things I've done for less. What's in it for me? What'd she pay you? Nothing. 
She left this charm bracelet in Hawk. Now, boss, I caught him now. Shut up, Hawkins. Give me that bracelet. Uh uh. Watch it, Tom. Don't crowd me. I got something bigger than this, or you wouldn't be here. All right, Sam, what do you want? I want to hear you talk. Hmm, I guess you know I've been down Mexico, eh? I'm listening. I got a little business down here, garage business. Running hot cars across the border in the state? <laughs> we kill them all. Little body work, the new serial number. Like plastic surgery. Sounds like a good business. You shouldn't be neglecting it. You met the dame. She says you want to kill her. I was off my trout. I scared her. I didn't mean anything. I thought I could scare her into sitting around. I'll let Parco nick her shoulder a little bit. Oh, just a little bit. Yeah. I figured her wrong. I know that now. If I could see her for five minutes just to talk to her, I know it'd be okay. I can't help you, Tom Tom. I want to talk to her myself. Well, since she hasn't got a penny, only that car. She figures I'm peddling that. Not anymore. She already stole it? Some car thieves took it. She hired me to trace it. Listen, Sam. Maybe broke in a strange country. I'd look good to her again. It's a thousand bucks, Sam. Oh, it's a so no. sudden, Tom Tom. Nothing. When you see her again, give her that bracelet back, man. Eh? It was a present from me. And whatever you do, don't find their car. Okay, Tom Tom, it's a promise. Thanks, man. Only one thing I don't understand. You said it was a million dollar caper. I meant that. She's worth a million bucks to me, Sam. The girl, Tom Tom? Or the car? Oh, I wish you hadn't answered that question, Sam. I really do. <laughs> the convertible caper, tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. When Tom Tom Carey said a million dollar caper, he meant just that. He never risked a rap for less than a hundred grand, and no dame that ever lived was worth more to him than a hot mink coat. If Nietzsche wasn't a million dollar package, the car was. I didn't know what was in it, but Tom Tom, it might be diamonds, dope, smuggled Chinese, or just plain money. So I went back to the hotel garage. Number 1279. I climbed the long, curving ramp to the second floor and found the canary yellow De Anza convertible crowded in behind four ranks of cars at the rear of the building. I started to work on it. Nothing in the luggage trunk, nothing under the seats, under the upholstery, and the door panels, nothing anywhere. Then I got tiny silver, and the two of us went over the second time. That's a cold lead, Sam. It's not, I know it's not. Now, think, Tiny. What's different about this car? Well, solider built than most. Good body of work. I don't know. Hey, here's something. What? There's a hole punched out of this fender over here. About the size of a quarter. Let me see that. Yeah, right here. It curves under, see? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. What's that you got? Sound bracelet. Did you say this dangle on here was what was cut out of that fender? Let me see. It fits. Fits even the curve. Yeah. What does it mean, Sam? The dangle on the bracelet is solid platinum. Hey, Sam, are you trying to tell me the fender's on this heap of solid platinum? You got a pocket knife, Sam? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. It shines. Sam, is this a hot car? I didn't answer him. I didn't have to. He looked in the gray-white gleam of the bracelet chime of the square of paint I'd scraped off the fender and answered the question himself. Meech's convertible was convertible in more ways than one. It was about the hottest car in San Francisco as of that moment. After I'd left the garage, I tried to phone Tom Tom, but he wasn't in. I had an uncomfortable feeling he was out looking for me. He was. As I stepped out of the phone booth, there was a rush of air past my left ear. A knife stuck in the wood, less than an inch west of him. Came out in the street and trying to see him duck around the corner into an alley. I ran after him. I collared him and stood him up against the wall. Let me go. Let me go. I cut you down. What do you know about that car? What do you know about that car? Come on, talk or you get more of this. Uh, I don't know nothing. They don't tell me nothing. Where's Meacher? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Meacher don't know nothing either. Only Tom Tom and... Tom Tom and who else? I don't talk no more. They cutting you in? I don't need no cut. The boss, he pays me good. Forty pesos. Sometimes more. Work for me and I'll cut you in. I cut you to pieces. The boss treats me good. Sure, you do all the dirty work. There's any trouble, you'll take the rap. What means rap? They put you in a little room and squirt gas in you. You fall dead. Gas? Tom Tom do this? He does indeed. Venga. 
storm. I take you to see the man. Sinandre is famous. I think he will be very happy to see you. The place Paco took me to was about as high on Russian Hill as you can get. The house was old, faced in brownstone, and had a high iron fence around it. On the gate was the main plate, H.H. Lovelace. When I opened it to go in, I noticed that Paco was no longer with me. Oh, Mr. Spade, come in, come in. The gray-haired gentleman who greeted me was wearing a wing collar, a carnation, and a very distinguished air. I could hardly believe it, but he was definitely, beyond the shadow of a doubt, none other than the one and only Happy Herman Heath. Well, Mr. Spade, I see that you're surprised. I'm overwhelmed, uh, Mr. Heath. Uh, lovely. Lovelace, that is the correct name. For my uh, avocation, I selected my first and second names, the H.H., you know. My full name is Herman Heath Lovelace. About that car, Mr. Spade. Uh, yeah, about that. I must own that you outwitted me. I was rather proud of my little device, the disc on the charm bracelet, you know. When you showed it to me at the, uh, my business establishment, I naturally thought you were authorized to fix the car. Yeah, naturally. However, I'm not averse to enterprise in a young man, and I'm prepared to pay for my blunder. You said a million I still couldn't accept, Mr. Lovelace. Oh, why not? I was hired to recover that car for my client. It's not mine to sell. Well, it's certainly not hers. I don't care whose it is. All I know is that my client's life is in danger, and it has uh, something to do with that car. Miss Estrada? Yeah. Excuse me one moment. Please arrive. Hello, Papa. That's all she said. And she stood there looking at me in that way that made you not care who she was double-crossing or why. And she turned to uh, Lovelace, alias Herman Heap. How much does he know? Alas, everything, I fear. He has agreed to our terms? Yes. Good. I must have my bracelet back now, Sam. Sure, it's right here in my... I reached in my coat pocket for the charm bracelet she'd given me to keep for it. It wasn't there. It wasn't any of my pockets. I guessed that it was in one of Paco's pockets. Mitya watched me fumbling, her eyes blazing with anger. Fool, you have lost it. We are helpless without that. I thought it was the car you wanted. Please, please, one thing at a time. I suggest that we first gain possession of the car. Yes, Lovelace, you are right. First, the car. Ah, yes. This is the car at last. A princess in vulgar raiment, but still a princess. No royal coach carrying a king to a coronation ever held such riches. I just talk too much. Oh, I do. Well, take your place at the wheel, Mitchell. We shall drive out of here into a splendid future. Uh, after you, Mr. Spade. No, no, Mr. Heath. After you. Uh, yeah. uh, ironic, isn't it, that of all my varied interests, I've never learned to drive a car. That or to buckle the able. You uh, seem kind of shaky, Mitchell. You sure you can handle the car down the ramp? I'm very good driver, Waffle. Major, stop! Put on your brakes. There's a man coming up the ramp. He was dead before I got to him. As I leaned over him, I saw the bracelet lying beside his hand. I picked it up and walked back to the car. Nietzsche and Herman Heap Lovelace were sitting in stony silence, glaring at each other. Is he dead? Yeah. Was the bracelet on him? I didn't look. Lovelace, go and frisk him. Oh, must I? It, it's very distasteful to me. Uh, come, Mr. Spade. You fool. We trust this detective. Go on. Very well. Get in, Sam. Get in. We leave him here. What's the matter? Is something wrong? Oh, uh, nothing at all. Come back here. This is an outbreak. I didn't make... Oh, a cigarette. Sure, sure. Here you are. Say nada. <laughs> I, um... I saw you pick up the bracelet. I meant that you should share with me. That is why I gave you the bracelet in the first place. I liked you. Couldn't have been because you were safe as long as Tom Tom didn't know where the bracelet was, and if you had to kill somebody for it, it would be me. Please, Carita, what does it matter now? 
We are together. We have the car. We have the bracelet. And the pig is dead. That's what worries me. Oh, surely you do not think I meant to kill him. Of course not. Your foot just slipped. You stepped in the gas by accident. Yes. Yes, that was it. It won't stick, sweetheart. Not with me. But with the police? My story won't help you. I don't know enough. Oh? Then I tell you everything. I was with Tom Tom for a year. I hated him 365 days. I tried to run away. Always that Paco came out and brought me back. Then, Senor Lovelace came with the car. Senor Lovelace had much money, but he could not take it from the country. So he bought, stole platinum. Some he received from refugees who had sent their fortunes abroad in that form. But there was no safe way to get it across the border. So for a cut, Tom Tom had the platinum made into fenders and welded onto the car. Why was the bracelet so important? It was too dangerous for Lovelace to bargain directly. Tom Tom was to get the money for the platinum and give the little piece of the fender as a token. Yeah. Lovelace would know who to give the car to when they showed it to him. That's why he let me drive the car off the lot, huh? <laughs> I don't care, darling, even if you tried to steal it. Now we understand each other, no? You are tough, too. Tougher than Tom Tom, I think. Well, well. Now we have everything for ourselves, you and me. What do we care for the others, huh? You make a good pitch, sweetheart. You look beautiful while you're making it. But I don't like your driving. What do you mean? Pull over. I'm driving the seat back to the city. No. I said pull over. I won't let you do it. I don't care what happens. Take it easy. You want to kill us both? Sure, I will kill us both. We die together or we live together. Yes or no? You're nuts. Answer me. The answer is no. Well, no, you will see. I mean what I say. Fog thinned out as we rounded a bend in the road. There was a point ahead with a sheer 300-foot drop to the sea. She jerked the car away from the pavement and steered straight at it. I grabbed the wheel and twisted it. The car skidded on gravel and slid sideways toward the cliff. I got the door open and tried to yank her out with me. She held on and kicked me until I rolled free. looked very beautiful when I saw her for the last time. And the flashy convertible was a pile of junk. Very expensive junk, but junk all the same. I understand the federal men have confiscated the platinum and are holding Lovelace for questioning. I doubt if he'll crack. Nobody can embarrass a used car salesman. Period. End of report. Sam, do you really like this racket we're in? I hate it. So do I. But don't let ever go into any other rack. It's a promise, sweetheart. Why, I'll never know. Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, was written for radio by Bob Tolman and Gil Dowd, with musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Tonight's program was directed by Elliot Lewis. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sam State Detective Agency. It's me, Abby. Oh, Sam, I've been worried about you. Sid Weiss was just on the phone, and he says digging up a corpse without a permit is against the law. It's all right, Effie. I just dug him up to say hello and put him back again. Oh, Sam. I'll be down in a couple of minutes to dictate my report, sweetheart. If I get lost on the way, you'll find me in City Hospital, the psycho ward, third straight jacket from the left. Dashiell Hammett. America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, 
Join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented each week by Wild Root Cream Oil, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that will put your hair back in place again, grooming it neatly, naturally, the way you want it. Fellows, if a girl can spend half an hour under a hot dryer in a beauty parlor to look her best for you, certainly you can spend half a minute sprucing up with Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic to look your best for her. That's all it takes, and Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, the way girls like to see it. Besides, it relieves dryness and removes loose dandruff. There's not a drop of alcohol in Wild Root Cream Oil. It contains lanolin. So get the big economy-sized bottle at your drug or toilet goods counter. And now, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. August 2nd, 1946. To Mrs. Gregory Denov. Subject, death of Dr. Denov. I was sitting in my office with nothing to think about except a horse named Corkscrew Jr. My secretary, Effie Perrine, came in and said there was someone outside. I didn't look up from the dope sheet, so she said it again. Someone outside, Sam. What's he look like? Um, blue double-breasted custom-made suit, Countess Mara tie... Hand-tailored shirt, English shoes, hand-trimmed Van Dyke. Get me a blank check and send them in. Okay, Sam. Please come in. Mr. Spade will see you now, sir. Thank you. You are Mr. Spade, Sam Spade. What can I do for you? I'm Dr. Gregory Denov, a psychoanalyst. I I need your help. Lie down, doctor, and tell me all about it. <laughs> I... I see you might also be noted for your sense of humor as well as your discretion. Who told you I was discreet? A man named Nicolaitis. Well, you tell Nicolaitis, I think he's cute, too. What else does he say about me? That I can trust you with $10,000. Oh. Is this Mr. Nicolaitis one of your patients? No. No, he isn't. As a matter of fact, he... He's gotten possession of some private records of mine. Well, it, it's rather involved. Nicolaitis is shaking you down, and he picked me as the middleman, is that it? This is not an ordinary case of blackmail. Blackmail is blackmail, even if you do it in technicolor. Well, as you may know, a psychoanalyst keeps a faithful transcript, a detailed record of everything a patient says during consultation, no matter how intimate or shocking. Yeah. This man, Nicolaitis, has managed to gain possession of a copy of one of these case histories. The patient is a very celebrated person, and should this material be divulged, may have very serious consequences. My patient and, and for me. Doctor, your best bet's the San Francisco Police Department. No, no, that's out of the question. And I'm afraid I can't help you. Why not? Nicolaitis sent a private detective. When I... His troubles. My job is to protect him, not to stand by and see him milk. You want to hire me on that basis, I'll listen. Oh, I... I'm... I'm so tired must for somebody. What can you do for me, Mr. Spade? Write me out a check for $1,000. Got a pen? Yeah. All right. You see, Nicolaitis figures that if I'm getting a cut, I'll have to keep my mouth shut. I'll spend it all the same. Here you are. Thanks. Now, uh, what was the last thing Nicolaitis told you? That he would pick up the $10,000 here and deliver to you this file in question. Can you reach him? Yes. Call him. Tell him you've seen me. Tell him I won't do that kind of business in my office. Tell him to come to your house. I'll be there. What if he refuses? He won't. Tell him I have the whole 10000 What time? How about in an hour? No, no, I'm sorry. We'll have to make it around three or... Oh, goodness, I'm late now. I, I really... That's a beautiful watch, Mr. Denham. Yes. Foreign? Uh, yes. May I see it? My watch? Why, oh, really, Mr. Spade, I'm very late. I have so many things to do, and I have to be at the Majestic Theater well before the matinee starts at 2.30. Are you going to see me at 3 o'clock if you're going to the theater? Oh, I'm not going to stay for the performance, well, Mr. Spade, till 3 o'clock then. Oh, my office is in my apartment. The address is here on my card. It's the penthouse. Penthouse, huh? Okay, doctor, I'll come formal. I'll wear the top to my bathing suit. I left my office around 2.30 and started walking up Knob Hill. 
The Messiah Apartments, where Denhoff's place was, took up the whole 300 block, so I didn't have any trouble finding it. I stopped across the street for a minute to get my breath after the uphill climb, mopped my face, and started across. Just as I got to the middle of the street... sidewalk roped off and guards posted at the building entrance. It took me maybe 20 minutes to elbow my way through and show my credentials. Sergeant Levine had the front door, so they let me in. Lieutenant Dundee of Homicide met me at the door of the penthouse. Hiya, Sam. What do you want? I want to see Dr. Denhoff. The doctor's dead. Dead? Yeah. He's my client. They can't do this to me. How? Hit a Brody out the window. What are you here for? To see his wife. Okay with you? Why not? She's inside. Thanks. With all due respect for your grief, I must have the keys to the cabinet where Gregory kept his confidential files. You realize that you wish me to take charge of his patients and that I am responsible. All this police and so on. We must get those files out of here as soon as possible. <coughs> yes? My name is Spade. I am Dr. Zoya. I was poor Dr. Denhoff's oldest friend. If there's anything I'd like to I... see you, Mrs. Denhoff, alone. <laughs> but you police have already asked her so many questions. You see, she's not in the... I'm not with the police. I'm a private detective. I was working for Dr. Denhoff. A private detective? He was in trouble, you see. You see, Dr. Zoya, the police won't believe me. Mm. Mr. Spade, you'll tell them. You'll tell him he didn't commit suicide. Well, Mrs. Denhoff, I guess that takes care of everything here. It's clearly suicide. Oh, you idiot. I'm stupid idiot. Suicide. Mm. My husband. Oh, no. He committed suicide. He would never. No, please. It will be all right, my dear. I'm sorry. She's hysterical. Yeah. If I had the time, I would... Tell them. Tell them. Please, Mrs. Denhoff. The undertaker has been arranged for burial at 7 o'clock, Beit Israel Cemetery. Now, please, the key to Gregory's fire. Here, take it and go. Go ahead, all of you. Okay, we'll, we'll not call you now. Oh, I'm so sorry, gentlemen. This hysteria, a simple traumatic condition. If I only have the time. Who can I turn to? Who will help me? You think it's pleasant? You think my husband would rest if they said I committed suicide? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Oh, oh you... Dr. Zoya didn't have the time, neither have I. You think it's murder? Who do you think killed your husband? To name someone. That's a very serious charge, Mr. Speed. Goodbye, Mrs. Denhoff. Constance Brent. You mean Constance Brent, the actress? Yes. Yes, she was his last patient this morning. She had threatened to kill him before. How do you know? My husband said so. Do you? Well, he, he'd written it down on his notes on her case. Once before, she'd almost pushed him from that same window. How about your husband and Miss Brent? Oh, I knew she was falling in love with my husband. That always happened. They, they call it a transference. But in this... Your case, husband told me Miss Brent was acting in a play this afternoon over at the Majestic. Yes, Midsummer Night's Dream. But she was here. I know she was here. Miss Ray, the receptionist, was coming back from lunch when she heard voices arguing inside. And she was sure it was Miss Brent's voice. Show me the doctor's case history on Miss Brent. I can't. It's missing. As soon as it happened, I went to the files. I meant to show it to the police. Who could have taken it? Constance Brent was the last one in that room before he died. Yeah. When did you say Nicolaitis last? Nick who? Skip it. Oh, where can I reach you in case... For the next couple of hours, I'll be at the Majestic Theater. I want to see how good an actress this Constance Brent is. Mr. Brent. I'm Jonathan Wallace. He's Mrs. Wallace. 
Now, what do you want with my wife? I've come to tell her that Dr. Denhoff is dead. Are you sure? You try falling from a 12th floor window sometime. Well, that's the best news I've heard this year. But I'm afraid it'll be a shock for Constance. Maybe, maybe not. She was the last person to see him alive, as far as anybody can make out. I... Are you from the police? No, uh, I'm from the insurance company. Claims investigator. What do you want to see Constance for? The policy wasn't made out to her, was it? No, made out to his widow. But she can't collect. Police say it was suicide. Oh, that's settled. This is the last time I pay for Tanya. Stand around while Puck talks his head off. Who is this person? Darling, I'm afraid this is going to be a shock. This man is from an insurance company. Dr. Denhold is dead. Oh, what a pity. What happened? The police say he jumped. His wife says he was pushed. She also says that you, Miss Brent, might have been the pusher. Oh, now, really, it's too absurd. How like a wife. What time did your play start this afternoon, Miss Brent? Nothing at 2.30. Always. Always. And the late lamented Dr. Denhold jumped at 3 o'clock. I didn't say he did. Doesn't this news uh, shock you? Yes, of course. Do you think good psychoanalysts are easy to find? Looks like your next doctor will have to start from scratch. Your case history seems to be missing from Dr. Denhoff's files. Missing? No. What is it? Has a man named Nicolaitis been in touch with you? I've never heard of him. Chances are you will. Does he have Dr. Denhoff's notes on my case? Could be. <gasps> this is frightful. Hot reading, huh? You seem to know this person, Nicolaitis. Get that file for me and I'll pay you well for it. Just a minute, my lovely Titania. We, we don't know who this man really is. He might even be Nicolaitis himself. Let me see your company credentials. Now, what do you know? Somebody picked my pocket. My wallet's gone. I thought so. All right, you tell me who you are. I'll call the police. Oh, no, no, Jonathan, no police. Let's get off the merry-go-round. My name is Spade. You'll find me in the phone book under S. My office is open until 6 o'clock. And if a man answers, don't hang up. It'll be me. <laughs> Yet. Not one. I even tried spelling it backwards. Ah, nobody ever heard of a man named Nicolaitis. I'm beginning to think there ain't no such person. Pardon me. Uh, do I hear my name mentioned? I'm Nicolaitis. Sam, I still think you're right. Come all the way in, Mr. Nicolaitis. Sit down. Thank you. If you need me, Sam, just scream. What can I do for you? Oh, I've come for my money. What money? The $10,000. Do you remember the $10,000? Refresh my memory. Oh, Dr. Denhoff, the gentleman who visited you this morning. Oh, uh, that $10,000. Well, you see, you see, you remember now. Yeah, yeah, it all comes back to me now. Uh, you were supposed to deliver something for the money. Since Dr. Denhoff is dead, that is no longer important. You will give me the money, please, and I will not disturb your afternoon any further. Suppose I refuse. Oh, that would grieve me. In my grief, there's no telling what I might do. Dr. Dunlop's dead. There's nothing more you can do to hurt him. Oh, never would I attempt to hurt poor Dr. Dunlop. But in my sorrow, it would be so great if I should be forced to hurt the woman he lost. After all, as Titania says, these are the forgeries of jealousy. Titania, huh? Ah, yes, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, Act 1, Scene 18. <laughs> I'm a little rusty on my Shakespeare. Oh, you are indeed, Mr. Spade. Titania doesn't appear until well into Act 2. She doesn't, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. I guess she isn't on for 40 minutes or so. Yes, indeed, Mr. Spade, but I didn't come here to discuss drama. What else have you got to discuss? When Dr. Dunhoff died, your market died with him. That is a very unprogressive view, Mr. Spade. There's always a gentleman named Jonathan Wallace. Why, you fiend. You don't mean you sell to both of us. Mr. Spade, how can you have such a low opinion of me? I will prove my integrity. I will give you the material. You give me the money. Hand it over. In the event, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. He who goes too close to the bear soon loses his beard. I have left my beard at home. 
Okay, I'll meet you anywhere you say, anytime you say. Excellent. Seven in your apartment. Hmm? Won't that be walking into the bear's cave? In the Levant, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. Private dicks do not kill people in their own apartment. It was then 6 p.m. I called Effie for messages. She told me that you had been phoning frantically, Mrs. Denov. I still had maybe 30 minutes before Nicolaitis was due at my apartment, so I breezed on up to your place on the hill. We had a very interesting chat, uh, remember, Mrs. Denov? Looking back on it, that was probably the most interesting conversation we had. Funny, I can't remember much of anything you said, but it was so uh, cozy there in your place. And what with your clock being about 20 minutes slow, it must have been something like half past seven before I left you. I grabbed a cab and told the hacky to step on it. I hoped Nicolaitis was still waiting at my apartment. He was. Mr. Nicolaitis, I'm sorry to be late. He was lying on my bathroom floor. The little guy was looking just about as natty as when he'd been in my office, except that the beautiful silk scarf he'd been wearing was twisted into a tight noose around his neck. Mr. Nicolaitis was a very dead blackmailer. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the fourth in a new series of programs bringing to the air for the first time the adventures of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective... Sam Spade. Then, at the racetrack, the man who has something better than a mere hunch is said to have it straight from the horse. Of course, that's a humorous expression. But it shows how to get facts. Go straight to the real source of information. And that's why we went straight to hundreds of men in metropolitan New York to find out what men really want in a hair tonic. And their answers show that Wild Root Cream Oil has all five advantages chosen by this impartial consumer jury of men. One, Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, never leaves it sticky or greasy. Two, Wild Root Cream Oil relieves annoying dryness. Three, it removes loose dandruff. Four, it's non-alcoholic. And five, it contains soothing lanolin. Remember, no other leading hair tonic gives you all five of these important advantages. Is it any wonder that four out of five users in a nationwide test preferred Wild Root Cream Oil to all other hair tonics they'd tried? So next time you visit your barber, ask for Wild Root Cream Oil and get the big economy-sized bottle of Wild Root Cream Oil at your drug or toilet goods counter. And Psyche. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. His eyes were open and he seemed to be looking right at me as I bent over him. The finger marks in his throat were too blotchy to be of any use. Pretty soon Lieutenant Dundee and Sergeant Polehouse came in and walked over behind me. We all stood there for a second, and then Polehouse bent down and closed those eyes. You know him, Sam? His name is Nicolaitis. That's all I know about him. What did he come here to your place for? I don't know. You invited him? I wouldn't have been surprised to find him here, but not like this. You boys got a smear on him yet? Sure. He's an old customer of mine. Runs a photo lab. Photostats, microfilm. Microfilm. Nobody makes any sense. They're all screwballs, psychos, neurotics. What am I doing in the middle of this anyway? Sam, don't scream at us. We're just doing a job. Oh, I'm sorry, boys. It's... Dr. Denov was my client. An expert. That Denov probably had a screw loose somewhere and needed a psychoanalyst himself. Say, maybe he was... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, Dundee. Hmm? I'm going out of here now. Do I call Sid Weiss and we go through all that again, or are you going to let me walk? Why, Sam, you can go. I know where you sleep. I'll wake you when I'm ready for you.
proceed? I want some answers, Dr. Sawyer, and you're the guy who can give them to me. I'm listening. Just let the questions flow into your mind and do not try to repress any of them. Speak instantly whatever... Okay, question number one, without thinking. Do you think Dr. Denhoff was a suicide? Well, I had not seen Dr. Denhoff for many years. He had been my student in Vienna. I was his analyst, in fact. That's all very interesting, Doctor, but my question... Yes, yes. Uh, did poor Dr. Denhoff commit suicide? I have reviewed all the material manifest and hypothetical, and I came to the conclusion, no, no, it was quite impossible. You see, these paranoid... Okay, and question number two. Was uh, Dr. Denhoff in love with Constance Brent? I suppose I can now answer that question. When I arrived in San Francisco, I found him in great distress. He told me he feared he was losing his objectivity towards this patient. In other words, he was in love with her? Yes. You think she might have murdered him? <laughs> All psychoanalytical subjects develop aggressive feelings toward the doctor... Nearly all of my patients have threatened me at one time or another. You don't say. Uh, tell me, Dr. Zoe, you know anything about Jonathan Wallace, Miss Brent's husband? A violent type, almost psychotic. Yeah? How about you, uh, Dr. Zoya? Could you have done it? That is a most interesting question, Mr. Spade. When I arrived here from Vienna, I must confess that I felt a certain antagonism. It disturbed me to realize that a man of my standing in the profession should have been dependent on the goodwill of a younger and, <laughs> I sincerely believe, less gifted man. However, I overcame this, and I didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh... Uh, doctor, thanks a lot. Oh, pizza, pizza. Surely a life study. There is no accounting. For instance, Dr. Denner. He came to me only this afternoon with the strangest request. Yeah? He gave me the gold watch. The gold watch which I had presented to him many years ago upon his graduation in Vienna. He had a patient waiting, and so had not much time to explain. Where is his watch? Please, I'm coming to that. He asked me to promise that I would have the watch buried with him if something should happen. That has been done. But Dr. Dunham just died at three o'clock. It is a mosaic law that the deceased be buried before sundown. Uh-huh. Thanks, doctor. Thanks a lot. Hmm. I hope I've been of some help. Doctor, you'll never know how much you've helped me. Who is it? Spade. Oh, what's happened? I think I got the answers, Mrs. Denov. That file on Constance Brent. Your husband knew that you'd been going through it. Mr. Spade. Shut up and listen to me. He took it out of the files, added microfilm for his own private records, and destroyed the original. Really? The man who did the microfilming was Nicolaitis. He delivered one print to your husband and kept another for himself. He was murdered in my apartment for the copy he used to shake down your husband. The killer now has that copy, if it hasn't already been destroyed. But we can still put our hands on the first strip of microfilm which you delivered to your husband. This is astonishing. How? It's in the gold watch which was buried with him. But... Oh, the, the watch that Dr. Zoe... That's right. Denhoff made up his mind that whatever he knew about Constance Brent was going to go to the grave with him. What are you doing tonight? Oh, nothing. And we got a date, sweetheart, you and I. I'll be back toward the wee hours. All paths lead to the grave. Ophelia, Act 6. Gregory's grave? But shouldn't we get a court order and have it done properly? The courts don't open until 10 in the morning, sweetheart. And Lieutenant Dundee's going to start asking me some questions about that step in my apartment before then. You see, baby, I can't wait. Mr. 
Mr. Spade, we shouldn't be doing this. If I'm wrong this time, it won't be wasted effort. I'll crawl into the grave myself and pull it in after. Here. I struck it. Give me that crowbar, Mrs. Denhoff. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Put that flashlight in here, sweetheart. You look the other way. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. Look. What, Mr. Speed? What have you got? The watch. Here, put the flash on it while I open it. Here's my nail file. Pry off the back. Thanks. That does it. Here's the film. All right, Mr. Spade. Give me that film. Well, if it isn't a second grave digger from Hamlet, Mr. Constance Brent. Stop planning and hand it up to me. Better do as he says, Mr. Spade. We've both got guns. I was expecting that. It took you a long time to get here, Mr. Wallace. How did dear Constance make out as Lady Macbeth? Just give me that film. Stop being an idiot, Wallace. The cemetery is crawling with cops. Put that gun away before you drop it and break your foot. Come up out of that grave, Peter. You'll stay there forever. Okay, Dundee. All right, all right. Get those hands up, everybody. Go ahead, Dundee. Make the print. Okay. Sam Spade, I arrest you for body snatching violation of graves under the civil code number... No, you fool. You're supposed to arrest Mrs. Gregory huh? Denhoff and Jonathan Wallace for the murder of Gregory Denhoff and Pericles Nicolaitis. But I... Oh, yeah, yeah. I... No, you don't. I... Oh, no. you, Mrs. Denhoff, to make me late for my appointment with Nicolaitis. You did that so that Wallace could nail him in my apartment for the microfilm. You thought you could use that film to film Denhoff's murder on Constance Brent. But after your late husband caught you tampering with his files, he added a few well-chosen words to it so that the film put the finger on you and your boyfriend, Mr. Wallace, in case anything happened to the doctor. So Wallace had to kill Nicolaitis. You weren't smart to push your husband out the window. That looked like suicide. You might have gotten away with it, Mrs. Denhoff, if you'd bashed your husband's head in with a bottle. Uh, that reminds me, Effie, pour me a drink. Is that all? Sign it, put a special delivery on it, and send it care of the matron to Hatchapi Prison. Go on, have one yourself. Oh, thank you. Here's how. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. You'll get used to it. <laughs> Good night, Sam. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. <laughs>